0: Hello, Modern Classrooms podcast listeners. Just a quick note from the editor before we get this episode started. We will be doing some more Q&A episodes in upcoming weeks, and we wanted to remind you that you can submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. You can head to www.modernclassrooms.org askmcp. Or you can tweet at us with the hashtag #AskMCP, and we may discuss your question on a future episode. Of course, all this information is in the show notes for this episode as well, and you can find them in your podcast player while you listen. So without any further ado, let's dive into managing mastery-based grading.
1: Welcome to episode 23 of the Modern Classroom Podcast. My name is Kate Gaskell, head of teaching and learning here at Modern Classrooms, and I am joined by co-host, Modern Classroom mentor and middle school educator Zach Diamond.
0: Hey Kate, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I am doing well. I'm doing well.
1: End of the semester, you hanging in there?
0: Yeah, oh, we're past that now. I'm I've have okay. the grading is in my past now, so I'm doing much better.
1: That is that's the best place to be, it is. you know, the big grading in your past and very timely for tonight. And we're also joined by modern classroom mentor and high school geosystems teacher, Moira Mazi. Moira, um, I know you've been on the podcast before, but could you remind our listeners a little bit about your career and education and experiences with modern classrooms?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I'm um, so happy to be on the podcast again and um, currently teaching at a suburban high school in Fairfax County with 11th and 12th graders. And um, this is my 15th year teaching I previously taught in D.C. for two years, mostly as an ESL teacher, but also a science teacher. And then before that, I was at another suburban high school in um, Virginia. Teaching earth science to ninth graders for about nine years, and the first two years of that, I was a special education teacher. So I've been in a lot of different settings, and um, I've taught special education, ESL students, and I feel like I teach all three now in my current position. I started as a fellow with modern classrooms in 2019, and now I've moved into being one of the mentors, and um, the whole experience has really just um, changed the way I think about uh, certain things in the classroom.
1: Moira or Mozzie, as she kind of affectionately is known (laughs) in the modern
2: classroom world,
1: um, offers just so much wisdom to her, to her mentees and now our podcast listeners. And we're so excited to have you back. Um, So today it's apt, Zach, that you introduce grading right from the get-go.
0: Yeah, see, see what I did there?
1: <laughs> <laughs> strategic, but it's also very timely because we are, you know, it is that point in the school year and we're getting a lot of questions. So we thought it would be a good time to talk about strategies and systems that we have used to make grading more manageable in our modern classrooms. We do as an organization frequently get questions about grading. Educators will sometimes even ask us um, very specific things like, how do I categorize mastery checks in my grade book? Or how do I I weight my grade book? And honestly, we know that educators have to meet many school and district policies. And we encourage teachers to emphasize mastery within their specific school or district policy and find age-appropriate mastery-based solutions. So we, we trust you, the educator, the professional, as the expert of your unique classroom to meet the needs for your unique circumstance. We do, however, have some specific guidance leading on the expertise of our educators and how to build systems to make grading more manageable for us as teachers. And I'd like to start by asking about how implementing this instructional model has shifted your mindset about grading. For me personally, I, I was a grading procrastinator before I was a modern classrooms educator. And when I, when I look behind the curtain of that, when I unpack why I procrastinated grading frequently, it was because I was afraid of my own inadequacies as a teacher. And when you sit down with that unit unit summative assessment, And you think like, I I failed, I failed them if a student didn't do as well on a performance as I would have liked. And I think that's why I I put off grading. Um, Modern Classrooms really helped me personally shift that approach. I began to look at grading more as feedback rather than a score I put in the grade book. And research shows time and time again that specific criterion, you know, um, consistent feedback is really helpful for our students. And I'm curious, you know, what your shift, what your mindset shift about grading has been since implementing modern classrooms. Um, Moira, what about you?
2: Yeah, so I like your um, grading procrastinator label. I think that a lot of us have been like that or are like that and um, I think that now I'm a timely grading evangelist like I'm just so on board and I just want to talk to people about it all the time and I want to like troubleshoot with them, how they can like turn around their grading in 24 to 48 hours now. So it has completely changed my mindset. Um, But it wasn't, um, I almost feel like it was a byproduct. So the timely grading was because I wanted their progress tracker to be updated every time they came into class. And I could see that students were um, motivated by that. And it was such an integral part to the instructional model that I was like, okay, I'm going to keep up with this because it seems like they're into it. And I feel like if I fall behind, then, you know, they're going to, the whole thing's just going to crumble. And it wasn't for some of the other reasons that I know are so important now. Like I actually was never terrible with grading. But I would let sometimes things stretch out to like two weeks and every now and then beyond that. And I just never even knew that there were all these studies that showed that timely grading and timely feedback improved student performance. Like I didn't even know that before. And um, I think that's a really important thing for us to know because that's one of the main things that motivates me now when I'm tired and I don't want to do grading because as a teacher, my two main goals are to help students learn and progress. That's goal number one. And then goal number two is to inspire students. And so in order to do that, I definitely have to be um, rested and just like healthy because I can't be inspiring students. At all, if I'm not coming from a good place, and how can I be coming from a good place if I'm constantly underneath a whole bunch of paperwork and things that I need to get done. So I feel like it's all sort of a house of cards. And um, I did learn through Modern Classrooms. How to um, grade daily. Now, I was nervous when I first started implementing modern classrooms because I realized, like, oh, I'm going to have to have my grades updated every day. Like, I've never done that before on a daily basis. And I don't know if I can do it. Like, I don't know if I have time at the end of the day to get this done. But I said, okay, let me give it a try. And so, over the course of that first year, I learned a couple of tricks for, um, or systems like we're talking about today for how to get that done. And we can talk, we can get more into those, but major mindset shift about the grading. And really, some of it really is this idea that, like, I am here to help students learn and be better. So why don't I make, like, this, this major thing? grading and feedback that has shown to improve students learning why don't i focus on that
1: yeah and i i so much of what you're saying where really resonates with me and it it was modern classrooms that really and like you said the public pacing tracker and these ideas of you know you want kids to stay on pace modern classrooms really was what made it realistic for me i i had heard these things but it wasn't until i started implementing, you know, my self-paced blended classroom, but this mastery-based element became real and therefore, you know, frequent feedback could become real. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious about you, Zach, how has implementing, you know, the modern classroom framework, how has it shifted your mindset about grading?
0: Yeah, it has in a, in a lot of ways. Um, I wish that I could have said everything that Moira said as articulately as she did. Because she basically took all my ideas. Um, I I agree with everything. Moira is
1: a is a daily grading evangelist and a podcast idea thief.
0: Yeah, no, but I mean seriously, I really do think all those things. And uh, one thing that you said that really stuck out to me—I hadn't thought about it this way. But the progress tracker motivates me to get my grading done. I always think of the progress tracker motivating the kids because I don't want to be behind. But but I know, like, if I come into class one day and I haven't done it yet, a bunch of kids are going to be like, Mr. Diamond, you didn't update the tracker. Where's my lesson? That really resonates with me. Um, I would say that for me, though, the the biggest shift has been from the idea of grades as a measure of how intelligent you are to really a measure of how much progress you've made in the unit. Um, and I'll talk about this as we get further into the into the outline here. But the way that my units are structured is basically... Uh, a sequence of 10 lessons each with a mastery check. And so the kids who are falling behind, it's not because they're less smart, it's because they're working more slowly, which can be for a number of reasons and I don't think it has that same stigma attached to it as if I were like publicly displaying their grades, right? It would be like advertising who's smart and who's not smart, which I would never do because it would be cruel. But a uh, progress tracker is a it, it's a progress tracker. It, it helps me see where they're at in the unit as opposed to seeing, you know, what I would have used to have thought about a grade, which is basically how well they did on a particular piece of work. And I think that using the progress tracker has also shifted the mindset of my students as well to one of progress rather than sort of intelligence or smartness.
1: Yeah, and that is such an important point, just that mindset shift in our students and even ourselves as educators from, you know, quote, smart or not to it's to that idea truly of progress of working our way through something and working our way, working our way through something that has been carefully planned. You know, it, I always think modern classrooms, a modern classrooms unit plan is the epitome. Of backwards design. It has to be. It's not only backwards designed, it's it's published um, for our students. So they can have that clear roadmap of where they're going. So let's talk about this. Let's start at the very beginning of the process, unit planning. How does mastery-based grading and then efforts to maintain its sustainability in your class, Zach, how does that impact your planning?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is my planning. Mastery-based grading is how I build my units because you know, my unit, I teach six units in the school year. And in every unit, the students make a song, I teach music. Uh, And so the way that I plan the units, I know what the outcome is going to be. And so then I say, well, what are the steps that the students have to complete in order to make the song? And then I build a mastery check around those steps. I literally make the mastery check document before I make anything else for that lesson. Like I say, okay, for this lesson, you have to record your lyrics or whatever the task is, right? And that's the mastery check. They have to show me that they recorded their lyrics. And then I will, you know, I'll plan a lesson around what do I have to teach them in order to have them do this correctly. And that's how I unit plan, right? Like I say, okay, they have to make this song that contains these components. And then what are the 9, 10, 11 tasks that they have to do? And there are my mastery checks. And then from there, further back in the backwards planning process, uh, is how I plan my lessons. But really, it all starts with chunking up the big project into mastery checks, sort of benchmarks that the students have to meet as they move through the unit.
1: I love that. Yeah. Benchmarks. I used to kind of call them pulse checks.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. What
1: What about you, Moira?
2: Yeah, definitely. I um, am seconding, seconding what Zach is saying. I actually in the beginning, when I first started learning the ma- modern classrooms instructional model, I was trying to plan like the Ed Puzzle video first and the guided notes and then the assignment and then the mastery check. And it was taking me a long time. And um, after actually, I just did one unit like that. And it took me a long time. And then I realized I need to do this the opposite way. So I do the same thing where I create all of the mastery checks first, because then you have all of that in your head of what it is that you're asking the students to know and be able to do. And then it speeds up your planning process for the rest of the unit. I would say that the other thing um, that has really helped me in the planning process is as you're going through the unit, um, just knowing what you're going to grade. And because we're doing the whole unit out at once, you can sort of look at the balance that you have, like, how long is it going to take me to grade that? What kind of feedback am I planning to give on that? Is that um, automatic, like with Edpuzzle? Or um, am I going to have to be giving written feedback on it? Is this practice work? Or is this something more like where I want them to show mastery, where I actually really want to take a few minutes up to five minutes to be giving them feedback that they can use to revise their writing or whatever else it is that they're doing. So you want to be maximizing the amount of time that you're grading on the higher impact assignments and then finding ways to give more automatic feedback. Or sometimes it's even like peer feedback. You still want it to be somewhat timely, um, some sort of feedback, but some of it is going to have to be more automated so that you can get your grading done in a sustainable way. Um, And then the other thing that has helped me so much in the planning process is not just knowing what I'm going to grade, but knowing exactly how I'm going to grade it before I release the unit. Because that's what was a time killer for me in the afternoon. Because I'm talking about those times when it's like three thirty back when we were in person. My feet hurt because I, you know, had shoes on back then. And um, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you quick <laughs> ran to the bathroom because you've been holding it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was tired. I was probably hungry. And I knew I had like thirty to forty five minutes before I had to get out the door for whatever home responsibilities that I had going on. And I was wasting a lot of time when I would sit down with the papers being like oh so how should I grade this I don't have that many minutes like I need to be able to just grade at that point so then I started making sure that I was either making rubrics for everything I was going to grade up front or that I was um at least um if I was just going to do points that I was um, figuring out what the correct and incorrect answers would be and what the point values were on each thing. And I would keep that in a folder because this was the other thing that I learned. This isn't like traditional grading where you pass out an assignment and then you get however many back and you grade that one assignment. I was opening a unit with seven lessons. So sometimes I was getting back, you know, Seven different assignments, and then also mastery checks from some of those. So I had like a lot of different things going, and I couldn't quickly remember all of the mastery of each of those different lessons. But if I had it written out in a folder, I was so much faster to grade it at the end of the day when I was tired. Yeah. And I didn't want to have to use like that mental bandwidth to try to figure that stuff out. So it made me faster to be able to have that done in the planning phase. That is really good advice.
1: And that that feeds into so well what I want to ask next. And that's, you know, so we are planned and the unit has started. So when you are in the unit itself, what are systems, strategies, little tricks? And I I love these so much um, because I feel like every modern classroom educator has just found a few things that just really works for them. What are strategies you've employed to make grading manageable for you? For me, one of the biggest just non negotiables, and of course, this is when we were in person pre COVID. My mastery checks were always on colored paper, and every lesson had their mastery check on a different color. So I just could register immediately in my Turnitin bin. That's not practice, that's a mastery check. And it's yellow, lesson one, orange, lesson two, you know, and I could sift through, grab the sheets of colored paper. And you know, be able to sort them quickly into piles, kind of like you were saying, Moira, to that point. In a self-paced unit, you are going to be getting mastery checks in from a variety of lessons. That was one thing. The color just immediately um, helped me stay organized. I put them into piles. I'd grade all the lesson ones, then grade all the lesson twos for that particular day, all the lesson threes. Um, that was huge for me. I have a few other few other tricks, but I'm, I'm curious, what were some of yours, Moira? Some of your some of your systems, your tricks.
2: So I love the colored paper, paper one, and I did not use that. But that is such a good idea, because I did, um, I was constantly sorting the papers, because it is a huge waste of time to be um, grading, you know, lesson one, and then lesson seven, and lesson three, you want them in piles, and you want them in piles by the um, class that they're in, because you don't want to have to be at least in our online grade book, it takes like, seconds for the online gradebook to switch between each of your different classes so I would sort the different lessons and I would sort by the different um classes and I would do that during the day even if I didn't have time to grade it I would make sure that from class to class like as the kids were coming in I would be like sorting papers and then put them on the side um the other thing that also really helped me is um online gradebook. So I would, um, I would put all the columns into my online gradebook, right at the beginning of the unit, because I found that if I didn't, then I was doing that sometimes at the end of the day. And I would run out of time, because for whatever reason, it would take like five minutes or, you know, something wouldn't load. But the other reason that I did that is that I found at the end of the day, um, I would make a lot of mistakes. So I would load those columns in the online gradebook, and then realize that I made a mistake, then I had to switch it for all five of the classes. And that was just me realizing that I'm much better in the morning than I am in the afternoon and I'm tired. So I need to put anything (laughs) that like I could make a mistake on into the morning or the weekend or something sometime when I could focus and afternoon grading is just grading. So those are some of the tricks I would say is have everything loaded in your online grade book if you can, and then just sort, sort, sort like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That,
1: that point about, you know, your learning management system, your online grade book, whatever that, whatever that is, I really like that point of having things set up ahead of time. And yeah, I was, I feel like Kareem Farah, our co-founder here at Modern Classrooms who was just my colleague, you know, (laughs) who was the math teacher, Mr. Farah. um, When I, when I was starting to implement, I remember he once said, you know, there's a misconception with, this instructional model from people who are, you know, perhaps have never done this or are trying to imagine what our classrooms look like. And they say, Oh, well, if the teacher isn't teaching and the kids are just learning from videos, then what's the teacher doing? And, you know, anyone who's been in our classrooms knows that the teacher is busier than ever. And he always said, you know, that to that point, if you're not busier than you were when you were traditionally teaching, there's probably something amiss. It was a sustainable busy though, because I would, I would do exactly what you're talking about. I would be sorting, you know, I'd be sorting mastery checks. I would be obviously working with kids one-on-one and pulling small groups. Um, You know, kind of some things, sometimes I think that we don't talk about when it comes to mastery based grading is sometimes mastery is pulling a kid who sure they mastered the concept, but you know, they could have been more specific you know, you know, they could have gone deeper. So sometimes it's, you know, really calling the kid who it's, you know, it says that they've mastered it, but I want to talk more about this. Yeah. So I, I love that idea that, you know, we are maximizing, we're busy, we're busy. And part of that busyness is we are maximizing every minute of class now um, to really prioritize our students and student learning in a way that I couldn't when I traditionally taught because, oh man, I was, I was tired, you know, fifth grade <laughs> came, I did the thing. And I got to sit down now it's their independent practice. And I see your hand. You have a question. Give me a minute. Okay. Give me a minute. I'll be there. You know, um, yeah, it, 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 this way, this way of teaching, particularly around, around mastery based grading and all those little systems we had, we were busy, but it was, it was meaningful busy. I always, I always kind of thought Zach, what are, what are some of your tricks? What do you, what do you do to make mastery based grading more manageable for you?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll get to that in a sec, but I love this idea of meaningful busy. Like I, I really <laughs> like that. I, I wanna just say like the we are more I do feel more busy, but I feel like the busyness is me having like really substantive conversations with kids. Oh like, yeah. All the time. Uh and it could be about something I've graded just then, right there in class, or it could be about something else. Um and also it's like a relaxed kind of busy where I sort of feel like if I need to take a minute and step back, I I can. Yep. Um
1: Yeah. I love that. If you need a minute yourself and if you, if you also need a minute to be very human with kids, right. And you, you really, you know, for, for your sake and theirs.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So strategies that I use to make grading manageable, I think that the first thing I would say is that I'll go back to what I was talking about in terms of the unit planning, right? When I break up the overall project into the pieces that I use to make my mastery checks, I try and do it in a way where the mastery check is quick to grade. Like I break it up into enough pieces that they are small enough for me to basically look at it quickly and say, this is good or this needs to be revised in as much as, as I can do that. Sometimes... The tasks are, are bigger than the, and they'll take a little bit more time. But for the most part, I try and make my mastery checks binary like that. And my pacing tracker is binary. It's either you've mastered it or you need to revise it You know, once a student submits something. And, um, you know, once I've done that, the mastery checks, I actually have, I don't use paper for my mastery checks at all, which I know is maybe like teacher sacrilege. But um, <laughs> remember, my students are making digital songs on a on their Chromebooks. And so a lot of the mastery checks are actually them taking screenshots of their work that they've done on the website that they use, and then marking up the, the image, which is their work. Uh, so I couldn't really do that on paper. They'd have to print it out, and that would be a whole lot of stuff, but... I use the Google Classroom grading tool because I don't use paper. And that tool is fantastic. I don't know. I'm not that familiar with Canvas or other LMSs if they have similar things. But basically, you can just look at all of the students' work in a particular Google Classroom assignment, like in one go. You just click right through them and right then and there you put in the grade. And it's really convenient. Um, but again, the sort of backbone of that is that the planning process led to the mastery check being simple to grade. And I've always really wanted to be able to Do in class grading, but I never was able to in a traditional model because I could never pull myself away from a conversation with a kid in enough time to grade 25 kids, you know, in a 50 minute period. Like it feels impersonal and kind of weird to like grade them and then leave, grade the next kid, then leave, grade the next kid. So I could never figure out how to do in class grading. But now, you know, a kid will say, Mr. Diamond, I finished lesson five. Can you look at it? And I'll say, okay and I'll look at it. Or if I'm in the middle of something, I'll say, hang on, just one sec. Why don't you start watching the video for lesson six? And I'll look at it when I get around to it. And right there in class, I can grade them. It's much more manageable because the kid tells me that they need it. And I know, and it's on my to-do list right then and there. And it's not 25 in one go, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. And Zach, I think you raise a really important point that if, you know, for some of us, it does work to do some grading and some kids, there are the kids that I, I, I don't know more if you've had this experience with high schoolers, but they stand. Did I get it? Did I get it? Yeah. Did I get it? You know,
0: <laughs> it's like middle, you, middle schoolers definitely do that. You re- yeah. Like You're
1: really not going to sit down until I, until I do this master check. Okay. Okay. You know, and I, I always kind of, you know, uh, it, I, it shows they're invested, which, I, I wanted to foster that. And um, and it, you know, so if you're not able, though, to grade in the moment, I think, Zach, you raise a really important reminder is that, you know, by all means, send the kids to the next lesson, um, have them keep working. You know, I think that um, in an elementary classroom, I'm kind of, you know, learning a lot about elementary education by learning by working with our amazing, amazing elementary, modern classroom mentors. And they kind of talk about how, you know, in an elementary classroom, it, and especially early childhood mastery checks are going to look a little bit different. And, you know, they, it might be kind of the concept of like the roaming teacher. She might be going, she or he, they might be going from table to table and kind of assessing mastery based on a sorting activity. Um, and you might need students to move on to something else in the meantime just like you would in a secondary classroom i haven't gotten around to that go on you know i'll 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 call you if there's an issue sort of thing i think that that's a really important reminder because yeah we don't want to create a bottleneck for ourselves and we don't want to create a bottleneck for students
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing that Zach was saying that I do use, I love the Google Classroom grading. I do think it's time-saving in some ways, although I actually think I was faster paper grading. But um, I use rubrics. I always upload rubrics onto um, their assignments and onto their written mastery checks that they do. And those save me a lot of time as I go through and grade because a lot of the feedback is already in the rubric and the students can see that even before they submit. And then I think another reason and that this whole timely grading improves student performance so much is like what you were saying, Kate. Is instead of a student having to wait wait a week or two weeks to figure out that they need to retake something, by then they don't even care about it, and they mm-hmm. like you know they've moved on. They're excited about it in the moment, and if you have time to grade it either right then or even into the next class, um, they're much more likely to take the retake, to do well on the retake, or to incorporate the notes that you've put in, onto their um, written work and incorporate that into a revision. So I think that that's part of this idea that this really does improve student performance. And this is part of why. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to shift
1: to uh, kind of, you know, our students who have really profound needs, um, our students who are newcomers to the country and may not be native English speakers. They're learning the language. Our students who have perhaps missed a lot of school, um, our students who learn in, you know, different and exceptional ways. I'm curious what you do for students who struggle with that secondary kind of, as we think of the mastery check, like this, this is your prove it opportunity, the separate, this separate area of the lesson. Um, what strategies have you employed to make mastery-based grading more sustainable and realistic for the student and for you, the educator? Zach, do you want to talk about this
0: one first? Sure. I, I guess when I think about what I would call differentiating my mastery checks, I think about the the modern classroom's idea of lesson classification, right? Or must do, should do, and aspire to do. The must do's, you know, I think that students must do them, right? And that's that's how we call them that. And if we're going to say that you have mastered this or that you have learned this, you have to do this, right? And so those must-dos have to be accessible as much as possible to as many students as possible. And the should-do, I use should-dos as sort of like an extra layer in the mastery check. So for some students who are Really struggling, or who are really far behind, I will say, why don't you skip this part of the mastery check and just do this other part of the mastery check, which is the must do. The should do is sort of baked in, but it's not required to pass the mastery check. The aspire tos are whole lessons in and of themselves that students can either do or skip. Yeah, and and also in some cases where it's necessary, I would I would do an alternate assessment. I would do maybe just sit down with the kid and talk with them, and and I could see for myself in conversation with them, if they'd master it, there was never any document involved. Uh, Or I could make a new new document if I needed to. That's happened once. It's pretty rare, I think. But maybe just to hammer home the point that it's really important to be flexible uh, in the modern classrooms model. And it allows us to do that. Um, We, at the end of the day, the teachers are the ones who determine whether the kids have mastered our lessons. And so being flexible and finding ways to assess students that meet their needs. And, you know, I think that in terms of sustainability for us, we can do that. We can sit down with the kid because, you know, I talked about this before and you did too, like that meaningful busy, but that relaxed busy, you know, we're not like, there's not like 8 million other demands of our time in that moment. So we can sit down with a particular kid who needs us.
1: Mm-hmm. I know I would, I would struggle with that so often. Like if I would see on a student's IEP that, you know, oral assessments um, are, you know, are recommended for this student, I would think like, okay uh, yes, I'm completely on board. Only problem is I am one person. So how am I, you know, and I, I never had a, co- I very, I know one year, one is teacher, one year for one period, I did have a co-teacher. Um, but it, it was just me. And, you know, when you're in a room of 25 kids, it's, it's hard to read, um, everything out loud when you're also trying to, you know, facilitate the rest of the classroom. Um, this made it a lot more possible than when I found that accommodation. I was like, "That's that's that's easy. You know, we'll we'll talk out mastery checks. That's not a problem." Um, and it became much more possible. Uh, what about you, Moira? What strategies um, have you have you used with some of your exceptional learners?
2: Yeah. So one thing that you just said just triggered another part of the planning process that I started that has to do with um, starting to plan with the mastery checks first. So. Um, uh, when when we were in person, I started planning the units um, where I would just sit down and say, OK, what are the questions that I would want students to be able to answer at the end of this lesson? And I would write out as many as I could. And sometimes we'd also do this collaboratively in our cohort. And we would have like a Google Doc of you know these questions. And then they got turned into what we call daily debrief questions for the lesson. And for me, they were so helpful that I would print them out and then staple them together for the whole unit and sort of carry them around so that I would have, like, I'd be like, hey, what lesson are you on? They'd say lesson three. Oh, and I'd flip to, you know, lesson three, and I'd just ask them some of the questions. But that was one other way that made it so much easier for me to do those oral mastery checks with certain students because I had a list of questions and I honestly didn't even remember which ones got onto the mastery check. So it wasn't like I was just doing, you know, prepping them for the mastery check or something, but that was very helpful. And it was actually really helpful for um, sometimes even students that were higher end students would get really like nervous before they would take the mastery check as they wanted to get a hundred on it. And they would think that they weren't ready. And I would say, I think you are ready. And so we'd go over some of the questions and it would build their confidence to be able to answer those questions before they would take the paper copy mastery check. That being said, I do have some students that really struggle. And I think part of the reason that they're struggling is they're usually students that are coming into the class like midway through the year. So they haven't had the you know, the first three or four weeks that the rest of the students had that got used to like the system of the class and how everything works and where things are. So my, the first thing I usually do is just simplify. And I usually just simplify to classic modern classrooms. So I have other things going on besides the Ed Puzzle, the assignment and the mastery check, you know, I'll have like a discussion board and I'll have the online textbook for them. And I'll have like a written portion of the um, mastery check. But if students are really, really struggling, and especially I have some students that are at like ELL level one, and they're just new to the class, and they are unsure of what's going on, I will just simplify their assignments down to watch the Ed Puzzle, uh, do this assignment that we've actually modified for ELL students, and then do this mastery check that's five multiple choice questions. Done. Like, we're just simplifying to that and I take everything else off of their Google classroom so that they can't even see it on their to-do list or anything like that. And that has helped those students. So that's one good um, strategy, but then, yeah, it's, I, I really liked your comments because it reminded me of back in the day when we were in person and I, I really was carrying around that list of daily debrief questions around everywhere in the classroom. I really, really like that strategy and
1: I'll admit you made me a little sad just now when you said back in the day, (laughs) back in the day, physical school. Um, There have been many challenges and opportunities of the last, you know, 10 or so months. But yeah, let's, let's talk about remote learning specifically. And how have you pivoted these strategies to remote learning? Moira, you, you are like me. You're, we, we, we love paper. (laughs) Uh, that, that is how we operate, you know, and that is not, I just want to emphasize that is not a formal modern classroom position. (laughs) That is Ms. Mozzie and Ms. Gaskell, just their personal preferences. How, how, how have you pivoted to remote learning?
2: Um, so I, it it is a little bit harder to do the relationship building. I think that's, it's like a little bit hard to have those casual side conversations. So that's the downside to it. Um, but when you have the breakout rooms or you have your office hours links, the students have gotten good at, Hey, can you join me in the office hours links? And you can talk to them a little bit. And they usually appreciate that. That was one strategy that I used today with a student and he is shy and I don't think he really wants to speak up. So in the in-person class, I would probably be talking to him all the time on the side, but here I feel a little bit more distant in virtual, but then, um, you know, I do talk to him in the office hours link and I do make sure that um, I email him a lot. That was part of why we put our discussion board questions and also because I always comment as well on their responses and sometimes they'll email me back. So I have more written um, online communication with the students that's also what I use their weekly reflections for so that I can have more of a pulse as to where they are personally and why and how I can like respond to what they're saying and then on top of that I think like what Zach was saying I just try to use all that Google classroom, and do for us. So I do use Edpuzzle, the mastery checks that are multiple choice, those are automated. The assignments have a rubric, the project, the written portion of the mastery check has a rubric that I can use. So I just try to really utilize every little online trick that I can to um, save myself time, but also create relationships with the students and basically maximize the time so it's sustainable for me and that the students are getting what they need. Yeah, and I'm almost terrified to pitch this question
1: to Zach because I think of of all the educators who I have worked with in the last year, which has been Many, many, many. I don't think anyone has taken to remote learning quite like Mr. Zach Diamond. <laughs> um, so, Zach, how have you pivoted your, your kind of sustainable mastery-based grading strategies to remote learning with, with the caveat for our listeners he is Superman with these. So do not beat yourself up.
0: But it's interesting that you say that because I don't feel I don't feel like Superman. I feel like modern classrooms made it so I could do this. And quite frankly, I I don't feel like I've pivoted that much at all. You know, I was teaching in a modern classrooms model in person before we transitioned to distance learning. And you know, I did mention before, I don't use paper. If I were using paper, it would be significantly more challenging to like adapt a system that I had been using in the physical classroom that obviously wouldn't work remotely, but because all of my mastery checks are you know Google Docs or Google Slides anyway, uh, it's the same. And you know we've talked a lot about how modern classrooms, uh, while it is most definitely a in-person model first and foremost, it does facilitate remote learning. And I think that usually when we talk about that, we're talking about the blended learning, right? The video instruction um, and the asynchronous instruction, but The mastery checks are asynchronous as well. And I can check them. You know, I get up half an hour earlier and I check mastery checks in the morning to make sure my patient trackers are are up to date. And then basically that's it. And I I will say I'm using comments a lot more on the mastery checks, like actual comments in the documents than I was before. Because before I would just say, you know, I'm going to be in the classroom with you pretty much guaranteed unless you're absent. And so I'll just say, please revise this this with me next time I see the person in the classroom. But now, since I'm not sure that they're going to be there, I'm not necessarily sure that they'll even respond to me if I talk to them on Zoom. I'll write a lot more comments. And quite frankly, that is not taking any more time than just grading was. So I'll probably keep doing that. I think it's great. And a lot of kids are responding well to it. And actually, in some ways, that's even saving me time because if I write a good comment and the student understands it, then they might not need to check in with me again. They might just be able to revise the work from the comment and that saves me in-class time. If I don't need to check in with them again, I can work with other students who do need my time. But yeah, I I have to say, like, it's not me. It's modern classrooms. I feel like it's modern classrooms that's making this possible for me. Um, I'm not Superman. I regret to inform you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) we won't tell anyone <laughs> um you know I I think that the role just like the role of teachers has really shifted over the last year um 10 months or so however 15 years however long it's been <laughs> since we have been um since we have been you know uh living with the COVID-19 pandemic you know I think the role of parents and guardians has also shifted and we know that they can be they can be great assets in a mastery-based classroom I think parents Parents can get really, really excited about the idea. Like once they understand what we're doing in our modern classrooms, there is this, oh, okay. Like, so they can access you anytime they want on the videos. All right. They can learn at their own pace and you want them to truly learn this. I think it's really powerful for parents. And again, they can be be really, really helpful. How do you use parent communication um, to help your students? Because they, again, they can, greatly, greatly motivate our students in ways we can't when it comes to mastery-based grading.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that um, it's sort of the trifecta. So you have the instructional model that Modern Classrooms is providing, and then you have this uh, the power of this timely grading and feedback for students. And then if you can also incorporate really strong um, parent-student-teacher relationships, then you are starting to have a really, really strong program, and um, you're helping to truly be able to reach every single student. In your classes. So I do a couple of things when we talk about systems and, you know, having routines. The less that I have to remember and the more that's routine for me, the less energy I have to use and the more likely I am to get it done and to get it done quickly and efficiently. So, um, since the beginning of the year, even actually since last March when we went out for the pandemic, I knew that we were going to have to be upping the level of our contact with parents if we were going to be servicing all of our students correctly like we would just have to be making more phone calls home because it would be so much easier for students to disappear and so as as a routine i update my grades every day but then i send progress reports out every Monday to students and to parents, to all, every week, everyone. It doesn't matter if you are you have a D and F or if you have an A, everyone, every week, every Monday, I've been doing that the entire year. Um, so that's a routine for me, but also um, students don't feel like you know, they're getting in trouble. If I send any communication home to their parents, they're just used to it. Um, Also, so that parents get that consistency, that they know that they're going to see a progress report every Monday from me. Um, So that's one thing that I've done. And then another thing that I do is every Monday, or in general, is I use an app called Talking Points. And I think we've talked, I think we talked about it the last time I was on this podcast, actually, but it it has two way translation. And that's why I chose to use it because I have um, like, I want to say like 60% of my parents, Their correspondence language is Spanish. And I'm right now a poor Spanish speaker, so I wouldn't be able to really make those phone calls or even the emails myself in Spanish. But with Talking Points, I'm able to um, text home to all parents, but um, they're getting it in their own correspondence language. So that helps me to reach all of the students, not just some of the parents and guardians that I speak the same language of. And so on Mondays, I will send out the progress reports to everyone, but then I will text through talking points to all of the parents of students that have, um, D's and F's just to alert them. Hey, you know, they, they have things they can do to bring up their grade. You know, this is where my office hours are. I've sent them a to-do list. Um, let me know if you have any questions and I'll also email the students on the D F list with a to-do list of things that they can do, not everything, but usually just like the top three things. Cause I'm not trying to overload them and just open that line of communication with the students as well. And then with students that are on the F list, I will, um, I try to discipline myself to sit down and make the phone call. And so sometimes every week, every Monday. So sometimes that is hard if your day is busy, but I really do challenge myself to do that because the phone calls are what I think really can make that connection. They can hear your tone of voice. Even if you're calling with an interpreter, um, you can hear their tone of voice, even if you're not speaking the same language. And I think that that really gets their attention sometimes. I'm a parent myself, and I can get really busy with everything I have going on. And I know that if Teachers started calling me and telling me that my child was failing it would get catch my attention a lot more than you know an email or you know sometimes I'm so busy I don't look in the online grade book myself I'm guilty of that um, so I think that I'm a big advocate of the phone call for students that have an F and then I usually reach out to counselors as well to um, just get them in the loop because sometimes they have information that I don't have.
1: Yeah and I really like that idea of like building a routine of my grades are updated on Monday you know Parents, parents have parents come to expect that,
2: and they're so nice. Like I get so many nice emails and text messages back through the Talking Points app, and it's uplifting. I mean, that's a that's a byproduct of that, you know, and so that increases my motivation as well.
1: Yeah, Zach, you also have the unique perspective of being both a parent and an educator, and so you you also know what great resources you know parents can be and parents and guardians in a mastery based classroom. How do you use parent communication to help your students?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, I guess procedurally, I do something very similar and I would basically echo everything Moira said. And I and I do have a daughter. She's in first grade, so she's not the age of the students that I teach. But, you know, I get emails from her school and I get, e- I get blind carbon copied on the emails from my school to parents as well. So I know that parents can really get overwhelmed by information coming from the school. Um, and I, I, I guess what I would add is that what makes parent communication so much smoother in, in a modern classroom is the specificity that I can bring to the communication. right? I can say, so your child is behind, and I would really like for them to finish lesson four by this evening if, if you could help them with that. because it's not there's no ambiguity to it. And it also feels a little bit more objective to to say specifically what the kid has to do instead of being like your child is failing, which you know, it sounds like it has a lot of judgment behind it when you say it. Um, obviously, it comes from a good place of good intentions to trying to help. But uh, the specificity of my communication has just gotten so much greater. And I really think that parents find that to be refreshing coming from from a teacher. And I also send progress reports because the mastery-based grading that I do is this sort of series of checkpoints that I mentioned before I have a spreadsheet with all of my kids and all the lessons you know, laid out in the spreadsheet and I can automate that progress report. It's really easy. I use a program called YAM, which is yet another mail merge. Uh, it basically counts up the number of checks that the kid has and sends it home. And again, that's very objective, right? It says the project is due in three weeks and your child has completed three out of five lessons. And um, those progress reports that I could just automatically generate from from the grading that I've already done it's very, very useful in terms of saving me time with parent communication, and then I can also filter that spreadsheet to to see which kids need more support than that, right? Kids that are failing or that are at risk of failing.
1: So, my my it's, it's so funny because i I have to I have to move us to the next question, and I have so many other questions. So, I guess this is a very good opportunity to say that we are going to be diving deeper, even deeper, into the topic of mastery based grading. Um, through a webinar, an upcoming webinar um, on Thursday, February twenty fifth, twenty twenty one at seven pm Eastern. Um, you can check the show notes for the link to register for that. So this is by no means the end of our discussion, but it will have to be for the podcast. I wanna I wanna close us by asking you both what difference have you seen in your students when you you know became when you started prioritizing. You know, frequent grading. When you became, as Moira might say, a daily grading evangelist, Uh, what difference have you seen in your students, Moira? Uh,
2: I I think that they are becoming more independent, and I think that they um, they tell me because I just asked them recently in a reflection question. They're telling me that they have become more organized and that they are learning to use their time better. And it I think it brings it back to a point that Zach had brought up way back in the beginning, that the fact that the tracker is public and the fact that the students are holding us accountable in a way for this daily grading, I feel like we're leading by example. So it's sort of like, I'm asking you to be organized and to use your time well, and that's what I'm going to do every day. And so you're seeing me do that. And then I think that you have more legitimacy in their eyes and they're like, I can do this too. I'm going to do it. And they um, try to organize themselves and I, they perform better in the class. Um, and I think all around they feel better. And I think that for some of the students that struggle a little bit, they understand how to jump back into the game because um, I, like Zach was saying, you're not just like, you're failing. I'm notifying you that you're failing. You're like, you need to complete lesson three and four. And they're like, okay. And it's concrete. And so they can get back in. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I love that on all the points, you know, we, there's so much that we can do that can translate to the point of our organization and, you know, just a greater sense of ownership on their own learning that we can really communicate. And they see us doing the work, so they're more likely to as well. Zach, what about you? What changes have you seen in your students um, when you began to really prioritize grading and mastery-based grading specifically.
0: Yeah, totally. And I also echo everything Morris just said. I, I completely agree. Um, I've seen that change as well. I would also add, after students get over that kind of initial shock of, like, what do you mean I have to do it again? I turned it in. Um, which happens after like a month, you know, that you're actually holding them to true mastery before they can move on is sort of a mindset of revision and the value of revision they start to learn like did i do it right or do i have to revise it and they're more willing to revise it once they understand that they're being held accountable for mastery and that is really really incredible to see because they'll the way that they talk to you about their work uh, it changes i don't know how exactly to describe it but the language they use the words they say the way that they talk about their work is more open to it being wrong and 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 open for revision than it was before when it was like i'm either going to get it right or i'm going to fail and it was a very fixed mindset and now it seems like more of a revision oriented and growth oriented mindset that i'm seeing in my students
1: and that is such a beautiful beautiful shift like we've talked about many times before um thank you so much for joining us tonight moira zach it's always good to talk to you i love it when we get to hop on together um And to our listeners, I hope you find this conversation, frankly, as helpful as I do. We mentioned it before. If mastery-based grading is an element of the modern classroom instructional model where you want to go deeper, please join us for that upcoming webinar Thursday, February 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern, where we will continue this conversation about mastery-based grading, differentiation, sustainable grading systems, and more. Thank you. Thank you to you, the listener. Thank you, Zach and Moira. And have a wonderful week, educators.
2: Thank you so much to Kate.
0: Thanks Kate.